If you join me in Bible study tonight, please open up your Bibles to the book of Romans to chapter 15. We are almost through the book of Romans. Book of Romans started out preaching about justification, what it is. How does one get justified in the sight of the Lord? And then around chapter 6, we transition to sanctification. Now that we've been saved, what do we do now? Which means start cleaning the sin out of the lives. Do we continue in sin that grace may abound? Mage anoint, oh God forbid. Ain't no way. And then as we come down, we're in the portion of Romans that's about practical applications. So verse 1 says, we then who are strong. He's still referring back to Romans chapter 14. Where the strong in faith ate meat and drank wine seven days a week. But the weak in the faith ate only vegetables and drank water on Mondays and Thursdays. Which were the days Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the Torah. And the day he came down from Mount Sinai according to the rabbinic sources. So it was not God who forbid eating meat and drinking wine on Mondays and Thursdays. Who was it? It was man. It was the scribes and Pharisees. And they came to Messiah even and said, why don't your disciples fast? Why don't they bow down and give, give honor to us? And what was Messiah's response? Who do we worship? We worship God and him we serve and him only. So that's the same people we're talking about here. We then who are strong, that is strong in the faith, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. The weak there refer to those who ate only vegetables and drank only water on Mondays and Thursdays. What does the word scruples mean? Answer is it doesn't matter because that's not the word that's used here. <laughs> The word here is the weaknesses. The weaknesses. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense, huh? Those who yield to their weaknesses in their presence. Yeah, the Greek is weaknesses. So Paul says, if these young believers are not strong enough in their faith to overcome some man-made teachings. Don't hit them with the two before and drive them away from the faith. So do I have to eat meat on Mondays and Thursdays if it's going to offend some of God's children to the point they may walk away from the Lord entirely? The answer is no. I can eat a salad now and then. So that's what verse 1 is. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Meaning, yes, I can have that steak and say, nani, nani, boo-boo. But that's not showing love to my fellow brother, is it? It's not. So in their presence, I can avoid meat. I can avoid wine. I can eat salad and drink water. Verse 2 says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. That is, we will bear with their weaknesses. We will avoid the meats and wine so that we can build a relationship, so that we can teach them the difference between the commandments of God and the commandments of men. 
How many of you, the minute you became a child of God, knew everything to do? <laughs> knew every word of this? I know you're laughing at me. Of course not. Neither did they back then. Turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is not about how do we live our lives after we turn to God. It's what do we do when we are turning to God, when we're in the process. Acts chapter 15. The issue in Acts chapter 15 is how are we saved? How many of you think we're saved by circumcision? You're wrong. But many people back in that day did believe that's the way you got saved. How are we saved? By faith. Whether we're born a Jew or born a Gentile, salvation is by faith. So that's verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. God didn't require it. Man did. But they came teaching people, unless you meet our man-made rules and regulations, you can't be saved. What does the Jerusalem Council say? Now, we're all saved by faith. Then once the question's answered, then they turn to, okay, how do we counsel these Gentiles who are in the process of turning to God? And that's in verse 19. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. Notice the ing ending, a participle. The action is not complete, it's ongoing. But that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled from blood. Those four things characterize worship in the pagan temples. If they're serious about turning to God, they must turn away from the pagan idolatry. And then verse 21 begins with four. What does four mean? Because. Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Meaning turn from pagan idolatry, come into the synagogue and learn the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. I know people still say, Wayne, I hope that when the trumpet blows, we all just get a download and we just know everything. I don't see that in the scripture anywhere. What we've always had to do is learn. Learn. You can't do what you don't know. So how do you learn what God commands? If you're in the land of the Bible 2,000 years ago, you couldn't run down to the bookstore and buy 32 copies of the Bible. So if you were raised as a pagan with no idea what God required, where would you learn it? You would go to the synagogue where they would want, where they would read from the Torah scrolls. And you'd learn and go, whoops, well, there's something else I'm not going to do again. <laughs> That's what sanctification is. Whoops, I didn't know that was wrong. I'm not doing that anymore. Okay, back to Romans. Edification. Verse 2, leading to edification. The word edification means a building up. A building up. Any of you ever been to a big city like New York or Los Angeles? You ever see a skyscraper built? It happens in an instant, right? They, they pour some concrete from a helicopter, boom, there's a building. No, it takes time. 
So does it take time for us to learn the ways of God when that's not the way we're brought up. Anybody out there ever have to unlearn something you were taught growing up in the church? Yeah. Yeah. So leading to edification. Edification is like building up a building. You do it one floor at a time. How many of you would build a building by top, starting with the top floor? Yeah, yeah, that would be silly, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, For even Messiah did not please himself. If Messiah had set out to please himself, would he have said, Please drive some nails into my wrists and ankles? No. So why did he let them crucify him? He had the ability to call 10,000 angels. Why didn't he? There was no other way. He did it for you and for me so that we could be saved. Amen. He didn't look and see what's good for me. He looked to see what's good for mankind, for us. Exactly. The Messiah did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He suffered the reproaches of the wicked. He could have just spoke a word and struck them all down, but he didn't do that. Yes, ma'am. What does the word reproaches there mean? Word reproach means to be harassed, harangued, to be spoken against, to be belittled, to be persecuted. Yeah, I guess maybe persecuted is the best day, the best way to say it. But verse 3, what it's about is he lived for others. And what Paul is saying is we should too. We should live for others. And that's why he says, oh, if you've got to miss a steak once in a while, you'll get over it. But does he mean go eat a pig now and then? No, that's quite different. Mejinoito, that's right. Got a question, go ahead. Would this also fall with the not holding the mother's Yes, if you can all hear her comment, does the same thing apply where it says in the scripture, do not boil a kid in its mother's milk? A kid is a goat, not a calf. So a cheeseburger cannot violate the commandment. But when you're in Israel, if you sit down and have a cheeseburger and then try and witness to the Jewish people around you, will they listen? Or have you ruined your credibility? I told you many times that when I would go to Israel at the close of Shabbat, everybody would pour out into Ben Yehuda Street. And they'd buy ice cream and there'd be celebrations and the rabbis and the elders would sit around the tables in the middle of the street and argue scriptures. And I could sit right there and argue the scriptures with them. That Yeshua is the Messiah, that the Messianic kingdom is coming. And we could all share our points of view, but if I sat down there with the cheeseburger, I'd be sitting alone. Why? Why? Because it would offend them. Why? Because they believe it's a sin. They have built what's called fences. So they took the verse that said, Thou shalt not boil a kid in its mother's milk, and said, Well, 
If you can't boil a goat in its mother's milk, if you have a cheeseburger, the cow that gave the milk that made the cheese might have given birth to the calf from which they made the hamburger, and that in the stomach acids in your stomach, the two might boil together. So they took what God commanded and added to it. That's what the fences are. God gave us about 613 commandments. You can debate the number. But they made 40 to 50,000 fences. As a hypothetical example, never happened. But if God said, thou shalt not touch the eye of the stove, lest ye be burned. There, there were three groups of the rabbinic authorities that made fences. And the first group would have said, well, that's not good enough. So we'll say, thou shalt not touch the stove. Because if you can't touch the stove, you can't touch the eye of the stove and get burned. And the next group came through and said, well, that's not good enough. We make a new rule. Thou shalt not go in the kitchen. Because if you can't go in the kitchen, you can't touch the stove, can't touch the stove, can't touch the eye of the stove, can't get burned. And the third group came through and said, that's not good enough. Thou shalt not go in the house. Because you can't go in the house, you can't go in the kitchen, can't go in the kitchen, can't touch the stove, can't touch the stove, can't touch the eye, can't get burned. So we all sleep outside in the rain. That's what the fences are. Is trying to make so many rules that you can't possibly get down and break the original commandment. And then arrogance swept in and they said, well, we no longer care about the original commandments. Don't you break our fences. That's what count. Because when you honor our fences, you honor us. You give us your allegiance. You uphold our authority. What did God say about that? What did he say? He said, should be honored God instead of man. Yeah. And in vanity, they worship me who keep the command, who teach as commandments, the doctrines of men. Yeah, that's Matthew 15 and Mark chapter 7. Yeah. Question over here. Exactly. For, for living a godly life. And so is that, that's what they're saying when, um, I forgot which part of the Bible we talked about to be weary of them because they were workers of iniquity. Yep. They, they changed along the course. Yep. Let's go look at it. Let's go look at Mark 7. Matthew 15 says the same thing, but Mark is closer. <laughs> You're exactly right. They started out with good motives. But what happens when you start getting a little bit of power? You get a little big head, you want more. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now he saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled. That word defiled there is common. It's koinos. So it means they're violating a man-made rule. So it says, that is with unwashed hands they found fault. Now we have here doctors, we have nurses, they will tell you that washing hands is not a bad thing. But this isn't wash your hands, it's wash your hands with a special two-handled cup. 
where you grab one handle, pour a little water in one hand, grab the other handle, pour a little water in the other hand. Did God command that? No. no. It's called neti lot yadayim. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There are many other things which they've received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Anything wrong with washing your dishes? No. Anything wrong with washing your hands? No. Anything wrong with condemning somebody for not doing it the way you think it ought to be done? Yeah, that's where we go off the rails. Verse 5, then the Pharisees and scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, well did I say a prophesy of you hypocrites, as it's written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. It's not that they honored God's commandments and a few man-made additions. They set aside God's commandments. They didn't care about those. In fact, if you go back and read the Talmud, they say God gave us the Torah. Now it's none of his business while we do with it. That's arrogance. That is wrong. So what did the church do in the 4th century? They said, God said, keep the Sabbath. But we say, no, don't keep the Sabbath. Keep Sunday instead to show that you're following our authority. Following us and not God. Yes, sir. I saw a, a video about the archaeological find where they excavated uh, uh, that city that was covered up by Mount Vesuvius. Uh, Pompeii. Pompeii. And they were finding all these Egyptian relics. And where they, in Pompeii at the time, uh, had been worshiping all these false gods and yep. stuff like Egyptians. Yeah. And so and then got came to my head, you know, the Romans were worshiping false deities. Mm -hmm. And so then it, it made me come to understand how that false teaching doctrine of men has come about from that area. Yeah. Because that whole area of Greece used to go almost all the way over Spain. Yeah. But it started at the Tower of Babel. Right. And it went from Babylon to Egypt, from Egypt to Greece, from Greece to Rome. It's just the same pagan gods making the rounds. And how many of you watched the opening of the European games that they had just a couple weeks ago? They had a huge, must have been, I don't know, 30 foot tall bull. And had people come around and worshiping the bull and opening the ceremonies. Yes, it was creepy. But in the 4th century, they said, don't keep Shabbat, do Sunday. They said, don't keep Easter. Wait for y'all to go, no, no, that's wrong. They said, don't keep Passover, do Easter instead. Easter comes out of sun god worship. Don't keep the Feast of Tabernacles, do Christmas instead, because that comes out of sun god worship. They said, don't keep the commandments of God, keep the commandments of men. Yeah, that was what happened in the fourth century. This is a pretty big question. Maybe you can answer it in a short answer. But so when someone talks to me that is a Christian and they believe on Sunday, what is your direct 
I know how I feel in my heart and what God's worked on me, but what is your direct go-to to explain them? This is where in the Word of God I found it. I found bits and pieces, and I like... So is your question, where can I go to the scripture to show them that if they're keeping Sunday instead of Shabbat, they're not going to be in the kingdom of God? Well, That's well, Isaiah 56. I would like to say, why, why am I doing what I'm doing? Well, how can I say, well, here it is. Okay. Let's start with Genesis. That's what I told you. I'll just do the short one. I just read the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, which we read tonight up at the table. But you may not have realized that's where I was reading. Yes, yeah, she did. She quoted it with Okay. <laughs> I just studied it. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, that word rested. Do you see it in verse 2? On the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Yes. That word is Shabbat. He Shabbated. In verse 3, you see the word rested. Yes. That verse is Shabbat. Go S-H-A-B-B-A-T. Or you can spell it Sabbath. In English, Sabbath, Shabbat. Now, go to Exodus. We're just going to do the short version. There's people out there on GoToMeeting land going, oh, I'm taking notes. When they talks about the seventh day, like I try to, and maybe it's not for me to have exact, but I think, okay, where, does, where did the day start and we get to the Sabbath being the seventh day, Friday, and Sunday, is, Saturday is the seventh. Oh, oh, keep your finger next to this. Go back okay. to Genesis chapter 2. Verse 2 begins, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he Shabbated on the seventh day. Okay, what day of the week did Messiah rise from the grave? What day of the week? It was Sunday. But the Gospels don't say Sunday, it says it was the day after the Sabbath. If Sunday's the day after the Sabbath, is Sunday the Sabbath? No. Is it the day after itself? No. no. Okay, so go back to Exodus 20. Verses 8 through 11 tell us who the Sabbath is for. Exodus 20, verse 8. Who is the Sabbath for? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day. In biblical Hebrew, a seventh day is not the seventh day. The seventh day is the seventh day of the week. Is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. That stranger is the non-Jew. That's the Gentile. So Sabbath is only for the Jews, the Gentiles, and the animals. Nobody else. That's everybody. Yes, that's everybody. Yes, that's everybody. Thank you. Okay, so I don't even get to go to... Let's go to Exodus 31 anyway. No, he's on. I just don't want nobody to be upset that I called you on that. 
Exodus 31.12. And Julie and Margo have made good comments out there. Exodus 31.12. It tells us why the Sabbath is so important to God. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak also to the children of Israel saying, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep for it's a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So the Sabbath is like your wedding ring. It lets you know I'm married to this young lady over here. The Sabbath is what lets everybody know that we worship the true and living God. In the fourth century, they went from Shabbat to worship God to Sunday to worship the sun God. It's something so, that I'm facing right now um, in my world is I've changed so much really quickly. Yeah. I didn't really change. I just went back to who I used to be, but people didn't know me then. Yeah. And now I'm happy. Now I come back and I'm like, okay, this is how I want to worship God now. And people question me a lot. I go to a Seventh-day Adventist university, although I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist, but nobody's ever really explained it. And honestly, it was just a, my mother's, God using her to influence me and God talking to me and saying, that is right. I know it's right. But God, God proved that that was right. Good. And I need that defense to say, okay, this is what the word says about that. All right. We can spend another hour or two or week or two <laughs> and drive it all home. But you say that's enough. So let's go back to Romans. Yeah. We're up to verse 4. <clears throat> For whatever things were written before, before what? Before what he's writing now. What comes before the New Testament was what we call the Old Testament, the Tanakh. Tanakh is an acronym for what? The Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. What we call the Old Testament. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. We're supposed to learn from them. Because what's that old adage? Those who refuse to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. What did they do in the 4th century? The same thing the Pharisees did. Just keep taking it back in history. We keep relearning the same lessons. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. That word patience means perseverance. You must persevere. You cannot lose your faith. You cannot walk away from God. We must stay strong even if people want to persecute us. Even if they want to call us names and treat us badly. Do not fear the one who can kill the body. Does the scripture say that? But fear the one who can kill the body and cast the soul into the lake of fire. I'm paraphrasing. But I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to the lake of fire. So what lessons do we learn from what was written before? One, what happens if we keep God's commandments? We get blessed. And if we don't, we get cursed. Which one's better? Blessings. You betcha. Number two. If you do not keep God's commandments, you have blank. 
forgotten him. Give me a scripture. Deuteronomy 8.11. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 8.11. Deuteronomy 8.11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by. What's that word by mean? Here's how. In this manner. By not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Now, anticipating objections from the floor. How do we know that God does not change his commandments? He said he doesn't change in Malachi chapter 4, right? I'm God, I do not change. Did he say in Psalm 89.34, My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Let's go look at that. Psalm 89 verse 34. Psalm 89 verse 34. My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. So if God gives a commandment, will he then change it? Just for us. Just for us, to break it. In 1 Kings chapter 13, what happened to the prophet who dared think that God would change his commandment? He got eaten by a lion. Put that down in your list of bad things. No lion eating. Bad. Is there consequences to breaking God's commandments? Let's look at Proverbs 28, verse 9. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, the Torah, the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God, even his prayer is what? Abomination. An abomination. It's Proverbs 28, verse 9. I can see I need to slow down just yes, a little. Proverbs 28.9 One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Did you say 29 or Proverbs 28, 28 verse 9. Proverbs 28 verse 9. Let me throw out a hypothetical. A stupid one, but I'm good at those. <laughs> Since Deuteronomy 18 says that every word of a prophet must come to pass, or they're not a prophet of God, right? Correct. Every word must come to pass. Every what word? Every word that a prophet prophesies must come to pass, or they're a false prophet. According to Deuteronomy 18. Moses said the Sabbath is to be kept forever. So if it's no longer to be kept, then Moses' prophecy failed. What would that say about Moses? A false prophet. Well, he only wrote the first five books. What about Isaiah? How long does Isaiah say we'll keep the Sabbath? Forever. So if the Sabbath is not to be kept, Isaiah is a false prophet. How long did Jeremiah say it's to be kept? Forever. Ezekiel? Forever. Daniel? 
forever. So if God has suddenly changed his mind, then every prophet of the Old Testament fails. That's bad enough. But turn to Matthew. Turn to Matthew. Chapter 4, verse 4. When Messiah gets confronted by the devil after his baptism and his 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, Messiah responds, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If that's not true, what does that say about Yeshua the Messiah? That he's a false prophet, not the Messiah, and our salvation is null and void. Also said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Not here, but in another place. Okay, in another place. Yeah, it did. How about Paul? What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 7 19? 1 Corinthians 7.19. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Amen. So all you have to do is think for a minute. If the preachers across the pulpits of America preaching that the law doesn't apply anymore, it's been done away with, what does that mean for the Bible? What does it mean for your faith? So let's go back to Romans because I don't want to get too far afield. You guys know I do that very easily. Verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. What it literally says in the Greek is that through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Yes, ma'am. The, the, the only scriptures that were written at the time were Genesis through Malachi. That's all there was. And what did Paul say that those scriptures were good for? Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. That's all. That's all. What is doctrine? What is reproof? What is correction? What is instruction in righteousness? And he also said those scriptures were able to lead you to salvation. He also said those scriptures were able to lead you to salvation. And indeed they are. Not just the New Testament, but what we call the Old Testament. Why? Because that's all they had when all those got saved. Think about the Ethiopian eunuch. He was reading from Isaiah chapter 53. That led him to salvation. Did he need to read Revelation? No. Good, because it hadn't been written yet. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay, so let's go back to Romans. 
Remember, Peter said, be careful reading Paul's writings. You can get misled. Verses 5 and 6 go together as a group. Now may the God of patience and comfort, same words as in verse 4, grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Messiah Yeshua. That, what's that word that there for? To teach us a lesson, right? That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. What that all means is we should have the mind of Messiah to think about others, not just about ourselves. What's going to lead you to salvation? That's good. What's going to drive you away from God? I shouldn't do. Even if I could do something. But you think it's wrong. Like there's a lot of Baptist churches that say if you take a sip of wine, you're not saved. Should I drink wine in their presence and say, look at my liberty? No, I shouldn't do that. We should spend time together looking at the scriptures. So we as believers should be of one mind and one understanding. We're not. Why not? The middle wall of separation. How about all those false teachers out there? Should we accept the false teachers and their false teachings that lead us away from Messiah? No, no we should not. I think there's something else involved there. It's not just the false teachers because I have free will and I can choose to accept or reject what they say. So. And the Lord gives us free will, so we have a huge responsibility ourselves. Yes. Yes, that's true. But when we're trying to deal with the weaknesses of others and not offend them, does that mean we should participate in their sin? No, the answer is no. And I knew that's not where you were going. I just want to make sure those folks in Go to Meeting Land don't think that's where you were going. Because I knew it wasn't. Yeah. Let's go back to Romans. We're in chapter 15. We're in up to verse number 7. Therefore, receive one another just as Messiah also received us to the glory of God. Just as. Did Messiah accept the scribes and the Pharisees? No, he did not. Called them vipers, sons of the devil. All kinds of things that they didn't appreciate. Yeah, so he didn't just say embrace them and, and participate in their sin so that they can maybe see the light. I know I've told the example before, but I had a friend who was in the ministry in the Nazarene church. He gotten saved out of the drug culture. And he kept reading the scriptures about Paul, about putting himself in other people's positions. So he went back to the drug houses as injecting himself with heroin and all kinds of crazy things to be like them so that he could lead them to Messiah. And how long do you think it took before they buried him from an overdose? Yeah, not very long. Not very long. Okay. Yes, ma'am. So how would you, when they regular church goer be able to witness to them that he 
unclean food, that worshipful Sunday, how are you able to form a relationship with someone like that, but not continue, not continuing the sins and not condone their sins? But uh, I know you have to form a relationship, but how do you do it? And how do you show them in this? I know it's going to take, uh, like you said, it's build one floor at a time, but how do you, there are so many people out in the church that I know, but how do you teach them what God's Word says without offending them and without, uh, because of their weakness? Oh, I didn't say without offending them necessarily. Messiah offended the scribes and Pharisees a bunch. The thing is, when you sit down to eat with them, well, remember when I was back there in Montgomery, you were there. They had the March for Jesus rally, and they wanted all the pastors to come, and people in our fellowship wanted me to go to, so I agreed to, and I went. And at the meeting, there was a dinner, or it was actually a lunch, and they had a special place for me to sit with cameras on four corners of me. Really? And I thought, that's kind of strange. And they brought out the food, and every bit of it had pork in it, from the soup to the salad to the main course to everything. And they were just irate that I would not eat it. They wanted to have me eat these things on the, on the films to show that I'm no different than they are, that we are all just the same, and I would not do it. Did that offend some of them? It offended them a great deal. Did they learn from it? Yes, some of them did. Some of them, they actually were Baptist churches that started meeting on Shabbat and keeping the feasts and festivals and avoiding Jesus. unclean food. Um, you just have to stick to the Word of God. Hey, Wayne, did your not eating ham offend the Lord? Did my not eating ham offend the Lord? No, I do not think it did. <laughs> Okay, that's the important one. Yeah, that's the important one. Okay, okay. So verse 7, how can we be of one mind? If some of us come out of the Jewish world and some out of the Gentile world. So let's look at the scriptures. Let's go to Acts 14. You cannot separate anything into the ham side and the lamb side. That's right. Acts 14.1. Now it happened in Iconium. Where's Iconium? Iconium's in Greece. That they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude both of the Jews and of the Greeks believed. If Paul's speaking in the synagogue, how are the Jews hearing? Because they've come to the synagogue also. We see the same thing in Acts chapter 13, verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now in the congregation, no, it's synagogue. It's the same word as in verse 42 had broken up. Many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. 
Jews and Gentiles came together on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, to learn the word of God. Are there two Bibles? Are there two gods? Are there two shepherds? Are there two flocks? One shepherd, one flock. John chapter 10, right? Let's turn over to John chapter 10. How many ways can one flock follow one shepherd? One way. John chapter 10. Starting in verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep, referring to the Gentiles, I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. So one flock can only follow one shepherd one way. But it doesn't say which way. Are they all, is Messiah going to lead them down the way of the Gentiles? He's going to lead them down the straight and the narrow way. The straight and narrow way. But go to Ephesians 4.17. The Apostle Paul tells us specifically. When we get saved by faith in Messiah, do we continue to walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk? Answer is no. Verse 17, this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility, meaning perverseness, of their mind. So do you continue to live as you did before once you got saved? Do you continue to live in sin? That's Romans 6. What then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound? God forbid. And it goes down. That same talk continues. In verse 22, we pick up Ephesians 4.22. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. What's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. Do we continue to walk against God's commandments? The answer is no. Let's see. Susie Q says to everyone, I know we do want to be a witness of truth to loved ones who are still in the church. But my mind also goes to scripture that tells us not to have things to do with folks who are lawless. And definitely think about the Roman scripture about approving of lawlessness. It's just a trying process for relationships. Now that we see our separations are being called out. And then she's got a broken heart. And that's true. It can be hard. It can be hard. It can hurt relationships when we stop walking in sin. Let's go to Acts chapter 18. Continuing our look at Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Acts chapter 18, verse 4. When you stand before the Lord on judgment day, there's only two judgments. 
Well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, for I never knew you. There's only two. Acts 18, verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, he being Paul, and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. That's Jews and Gentiles. There was an old-time radio preacher that I heard preaching about Acts chapter 13 many years ago. And he read, and they all came together the next Sabbath. He said, that should read the next Sunday, because you don't think them Gentiles actually went to the synagogue on the Sabbath now, do you? <laughs> Yipper, if the Bible says it, I do think it. Acts chapter 20, verses 18 to 21. Acts chapter 20. Verses 18 to 21. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, meaning Turkey, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with the many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, and I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly, and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Look at verse 21 for a moment. And what verse in Revelation do you see? Yeah, Revelation 14, 12. How does God define a saint? One who keeps the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. What does Paul say here? Testifying to Jews and also to Greeks. Repentance toward God, that's keeping God's commandments. And faith toward our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Yep, he's calling them saints, both places. Somebody says, where's that in Revelation? It's Revelation 14, 12. Which, believe it or not, is in <clears throat> the New Testament. Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. The word saints there in Greek is hagios, and it means the holy ones. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. So all throughout the New Testament, when it calls us to be holy, this defines what God means by holy. Are you holy if you keep the commandments of God but don't have faith in Yeshua? No, you've fallen short. What about if you have faith in Yeshua but don't keep the commandments of God? No, you've fallen short. Faith without works is dead. That sounds like something James might have written. Yeah. Let's go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Verses 5 to 10. Written by the Apostle Paul. You know it. But in accordance with the hardness and your impenitent heart. What's impenitent mean? Unrepentant. 
You are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. What's another term for the day of wrath? The day of the Lord of the tribulation period. And revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who render to each one according to his deeds. Here's the two choices. Eternal life. I like that one. To those who by patient continuance in doing good. That is in keeping God's commandments. Seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. What's the truth? The Torah is the truth. That's Psalm 119. Verse 142. But obey unrighteousness, that is lawlessness, indignation, and wrath. So eternal life for obeying God's commandments out of faith. Indignation and wrath for choosing to walk in sin and sin. Verse 9. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first. And also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. So are we to be of a divided mind? No. But the false teachers came in. Romans 10, 12. Romans 10, 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. What does rich mean? Rich is valuable, is worthwhile, is something to want and desire. Uh-huh. Generous. Generous, okay. 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. So if we all who are saved are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Does he lead us in two different directions? No. There are two roads. The broad road and the narrow road. But do they go to the same place? No. But everyone on both roads thinks they're going to the same place. And how sad it will be when one group finds out they were on the wrong road. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 25. I bet that's not a 25. It's a 28. There we go. Galatians 3, there's a verse 28. So to compromise, we'll read verses 26 through 29. For you are all children of God through faith in Messiah Yeshua. 
What's that tell you? Is there another way to be saved? No, just one. For as many of you who are baptized in Messiah have put on Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Messiah Yeshua. And if you are Messiahs, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Yes, ma'am. Abraham's seed? Yes. Listening to some of your teachings and coming to the knowledge of who Abraham was. Because in my mind, I always thought he was Jewish. Nope. And he was a Gentile. Yep. But yet he's in the lineage of Jesus. Right. And it just blew my mind that how many people don't slow down to find that out. Yep. That he is not a Jew. Right. He was not a Jew. But yet God talked to him and used him. Yep. You want to have fun one day? <laughs> Go into a group of church people and say, which came first, the flood or, <laughs> and people start going, oh, I don't know. <laughs> they all happened sometime. Does it matter the order in which things happened? Yes. Were there any Jews at the time of the flood? No. No, but in Genesis 7, the animals are either clean or unclean. Exactly. There aren't any Jews for hundreds of years after that. Yeah. So when people say, oh, God just made the animals clean or unclean for the Jews, there weren't any Jews. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm back in Genesis at the moment, and I was reading that yesterday, and the thought occurred to me that uh, one could suggest that God says, I will make a covenant with mankind, and that is the cutter covenant. Right. Therefore... There are certain animals with which you cut a covenant. So therefore, if a covenant's involved, then God is already drawing a, a distinction for the things that relate to him and do not. Right. Even before rules about clean and unclean come in, they still apply because God is the same. God is the same yesterday and forever. Before he told you about it. Yeah. When so was... As it's a covenant, then that... Um, there's a distinction in the animals. Yep. Would that make sense? Absolutely true. You cannot sacrifice to God an unclean animal. You cannot use as the blood of a covenant an unclean animal. Where was the first animal sacrifice done in the Bible? In Genesis 3, in the Garden of Eden, when God made coverings for Adam and Eve. Did he make them out of pigskin? No. <laughs> Auburn hadn't even started playing back then. Okay. Does that perhaps say Colossians? Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Verses 8 through 11, yep. Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. What does it mean to put off? Repent from them. Stop doing them. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, that's from Ephesians 2, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Messiah is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy, see that word holy? That word is hagios, the same one that is saints in Revelation 14, 12. And if you read through the list of characteristics of a saint, you'll see that they all involve love toward God and love toward our fellow man. But we have different heritages. It's a lot. Makes no difference to God. Makes no difference to me. Let's go now to verse 9. Back in Romans chapter 15. I want you to note verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12. We're going to read those four together. Yes, ma'am. Did we cover verse 8? No. So there's two verse 8 first. Thank you, Rachel. Now I say that Yeshua the Messiah has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Did God promise to the fathers that Messiah would come? That he would suffer for the sins of mankind and die. Be buried and raised again. Verse 8 says Messiah fulfilled all those promises. And verse 9 begins and. Which should have been my first clue that we hadn't done verse 8. <laughs> and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. For his What? For his mercy. What did the Ten Commandments say about God's mercy? Let's keep a finger and go back to Exodus 20. Does God show his mercy to everyone? Exodus 20. What was that, Doc? Ah, that's what the scripture says. We should always note a qualifying clause like that. Verse 6, but showing mercy to thousands, that's thousands of generations, to those who love me and keep my commandments. That's the same as Revelation 14, 12. God has not changed. What if you don't love God? What if you hate God? You want to break every commandment and worship every pagan God? Does God show you kindness, love, and mercy? Yeah. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, but what happens when Messiah comes and judgment falls? Yeah. So back to Romans 14. We're now to the 9, 10, 11, and 12. And why those four go together. Verse 9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it's written. 
For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So a promise that the commandments, statutes, judgments, the gospel, all that would go out to the Gentile world. Verse 10, and again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Verse 7, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. Verse 12, and again Isaiah says, There shall be a rooted Jesse, and he, sh and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Why those four? Have you looked at them? Gentiles are going to worship with God's people. They're going to be brought together into one, kind of like a wild olive tree being grafted into a cultivated tree. Yes, verse 9 is from the former prophets. Verse 10 is from the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. Verse 11 is from the writings. And verse 12 is from the latter prophets. He shows from every portion of the Old Testament that God has never changed. Amen. It's been consistent from the beginning that God was calling all people to himself. In verse 10 it says rejoice with his people. Correct. His people referring to the children of Israel. Not separate, but joined in two. You're absolutely right. So let's look and see where these four things come from. Verse 9, from the former prophets, let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 22. What former prophet prophesies in the book of Samuel? Samuel. Samuel, yeah. Samuel was the prophet. It was a trick question. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 50. Therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. Second Samuel chapter 22. Am I in the wrong place? Verse 50. I am never so confident to go, well, I, of course I'm in the right place. I should always check. And also... For that same verse, let's go to the Psalms. Second Samuel chapter 22, verse 50. Yep. Going to the Psalms. Verse 49. Psalm 18, verse 49. Just find a 49. Good, good. So 2 Samuel twenty-two fifty is incorporated in this psalm. The psalms were sung in the temple over and over and over again by the Levitical choirs. So Psalm 18... Verse 49. The reason I haven't given you the 18 before is I can't read my note. And I wasn't sure what chapter it was. I had to find the verse first. 
Psalm 18:49. Therefore I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. So the prophecy got incorporated into the Psalms to be sung before the Lord our God on a regular basis, to keep the prophecy before his face. As if to say, Lord, don't ever forget that the Gentiles need to be brought into your kingdom too. And in verse 10 from the Pentateuch, let's go back to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. From the Song of Moses. Yep. I'll take a sip of my dirty water here. Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. Which of those words in verse 43 at the beginning is in italics? With. Which means we could just take that out. Rejoice, O Gentiles, his people. Because who among the Gentile world is going to sing praises to the Lord our God but those who get grafted into his people? From the writings, the Ketuvim, Psalm 117. Psalm 117. Verse 1. This is a song that we sing here at Creekside. Only in our songbooks, it's all in Hebrew. So you may or may not recognize it, but this is what the English says from that song. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. What is the truth of the Lord? Psalm 119 verse 142 says, The Torah is truth. So who are these Gentiles that are singing praises to the Lord but those that have come to God by faith and keep his commandments? Yes, ma'am. Did you have a question or comment? Okay. Then the latter prophets, let's go to Isaiah chapter 11. The Sadducees only accepted the Pentateuch. They didn't accept the rest of the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 11. Yeah, that's why they're sad, you see. That's right. They don't believe in the resurrection. So Paul doesn't just take from one section of the scripture. Of the Tanakh, he goes across the whole panoply. Psalm 11, Isaiah 11, verse 10. Yep, got to be shaking there a little. And in that day, what day? Day of the Lord. There shall be a root of Jesse. Who's that root of Jesse? Yeshua. That's Messiah Yeshua. 
who shall stand as a banner to the people. That word banner is a rallying point, like the military guidon that a military unit gathers around when the trumpet blows. For, what's that word for? Because the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. A resting place? What resting place? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. I don't know your name yet, but I will learn it. Bianca. Bianca? Okay. Thank you. Call you what, babe? Babe. Babe. Okay. Okay, B. If we hadn't stopped earlier, as you were going, I got it, I got it, we would have ended up here in Hebrews anyway, chapter 4. <laughs> chapter 4, verse 4. Is this in the New Testament or the Old? It's in the New Testament, yeah. Verse 4 says, For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day. In this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. That's from Genesis chapter 2. Should say, and God Shabbated, or Sabbathed, on the seventh day from all his works. Verse 6, since therefore it remains that some must enter into that Sabbath rest. And those whom his first priest did not enter because of disobedience... Verse 9 says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Do you see that word rest? Yes. That Greek word is sabbatismos, a Sabbath rest. What does that do to the teaching that the Sabbath was abolished by God and replaced by Sunday? <laughs> was this before or after Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection? Long after. And yet there still is the seventh day Sabbath that is to be fulfilled in the Messianic kingdom. So this Sabbath rest here in verse 9 is referring to this, the millennial kingdom. The Messianic kingdom, the kingdom of God on earth. So let us go back to Romans chapter 15. Verse 13. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See those words, hope? Elpidi in Greek, Greek word 1680. What does the word hope mean? I hope it'll rain this week because the garden really needs rain. Is it that kind of hope? It can't be. It's more than that. It's what? It's your faith. It's, it's not a hope in something unspecified. It's do you believe God will do what God said he would do? Let's go look at this. Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. Yes, ma'am. So would you, in that verse 13, 
it's not as in people hope it's more like a um, a time to say, oh, I hope I can do something. It's a chance. It's, we, it's not a guarantee. But the hope we're talking about is it's, we know it's guaranteed. When God has promised it, you know it is. Yes. So we're going to go look at the cross references to see if we can get a better understanding what they mean here. Acts chapter 23, verse 6. The main difference between faith and hope, as we should be using those words, is did God promise it or not? If God promised it, and I believe it, that's faith. If God did not promise it, I just hope it happens, that's just hope. I hope I'll get home and find a check for a million dollars in the mailbox. How many of you think I'm going to be disappointed when I get home? Because God did not promise it. But if God promised it, God will deliver. Acts 23, 6. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, what do the Sadducees not believe in? The resurrection. The Pharisees, they do believe in the resurrection. However, they've come together to tell Paul to stop talking about this resurrected Messiah. He cried out in the council, the Sanhedrin, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Can you see the Sadducees at the moment going... Oh, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I'm being judged. Now the Pharisees are all going to stand up and go, what? Of course there's resurrection. And the Sadducees are going to say, of course there's no resurrection. But when he says, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I'm being judged, this is that same word hope. And you can see it's more than that. Did God promise resurrection of the dead? Did he promise it just in the New Testament? No, it's in Isaiah chapter 26. It's in Daniel chapter 12. So why don't the Sadducees believe it if it's in Isaiah and Daniel? They only read what Moses wrote. Yeah. He said, and Messiah really zinged him when he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So those who didn't believe in the resurrection kind of choke on those words because they promised the resurrection. So this Acts chapter 23, verse 6, is not hope in the sense of, I hope I've got a check in the mail when I get home. Because God promised the resurrection. Many places he promised the resurrection. And if you believe it, that God will do what he promised, that's not hope as we think of hope. That's faith. Faith. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, And Abraham believed God. And God accounted him for righteousness. That word believed is the verb ha'amin, from which we get the word amen. God said it, and Abraham said, that's it. It's going to happen. I believe it. That's what faith is. You cannot have faith in something God did not say he would do. That's hope.
be like look for, hope, expect. Yeah. Trust the same word that would have been Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen, Kavah, where it says wait for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Believing that it's going to happen. Yeah. So this is not hope like we think of in English, just as the word love in the Bible is not the word love in English. In English, love is an emotion. In the Bible, it's an action verb. How do you treat people? Yes, ma'am. Well, I was just going to say, in my older age, I have come to use the word or think in terms of assurance. Assurance. That I know that I know that my Redeemer lives and I know that that plan yep. is even coming you know, to fruition. Yep. Assurance and faith are synonyms. I know it. You can call it assurance, you can call it faith, but it's not hope. Right. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so when I say, when I have faith, like, this is something that's been huge for me. Oh, by faith, we're saved. Faith is everything. Like, it's became so real, but in hope, but God promised us salvation if we repented. He said, repent your sins. But in, in hope, we, it's like when we pray to God and we pray for his will and we hope for something, but it's not a guarantee because we have to wait for God's will. Right. We pray for the healing for somebody. We hope it will happen. But if God didn't promise it, all we can do is hope. We can ask. We can implore. So it's two different um, a question from somebody who sent it privately says, is the concept of resurrection to the Sadducees the same as life after death? The answer to that is no. The Sadducees thought that when you died, that's it. It's over. There's nothing to look forward to. No reason to conform our conduct. Acts 24.15. Referring to the same split between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In Acts 24, 15, it says, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. That is not the biblical concept of hope. This is he has faith in, that God promised it. God will deliver it. Amen. The just and the unjust, that's talking about Daniel chapter 12. So keep a finger here and go to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Starting in verse 1, which begins with the tribulation period. Which verse? Verse 1, Daniel 12, 1. Let me give you a chance to make a note. Sometimes you got to slow me down. Daniel 12, 1. At that time. Oops, you're not even there yet. <laughs> Let me slow note. At that time. Refers to the time of the tribulation period. Daniel 12, verse 1. Comes right after Daniel 11. <laughs> Sorry. Teach the doctor over here. She's <laughs> <number> numbers. 
Oh, there's a follow-up question on go to meeting. So what would the Sadducees have thought of what David said in 2 Samuel 12, 23, where David says he will go to his dead son? The answer to that is they would say, Moses did not write that, so we won't read it. That was it, period. Just like there are many churches today that say, if Paul didn't write it, I don't care. Wow. Jesus said it, it wasn't Paul, so it doesn't count. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of crazy. So Daniel 12, 1, at that time, Michael, that's the archangel, Michael, Michael, who is like God, shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble. Jeremiah 37 calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. Such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, that's in the tribulation period, your people shall be delivered. Everyone is found written in the book. Which book? The book of life. The Lamb's book of life. That's right. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's describing the two resurrections. So why does it say many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake? Why not all? Because when Messiah arose, there was some that arose then. So, yeah, that's right. Let's not miss verse 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, meaning the sun, moon, and stars. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. If they're turning many to righteousness, what are they turning them away from? Unrighteousness or lawlessness. So what does God say? If you turn people away from lawlessness, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a good thing. Okay, where did we leave our finger? In Acts 24, verse 15. Okay, our next verse will be Romans 5, 2. Still talking about Romans chapter 15, verse 13, and explaining what the word hope there actually means. Romans 5, 2. You know, it breaks my heart when I hear theologians on TV, especially YouTube. They look at a word and they run to the English Oxford Dictionary to see what the word means. When you're reading from the Bible, that's a good way to get into trouble. Revelation 5.2. I'm sorry, it's Romans 5.2. Back up the tape. Romans 5.2. <laughs> Through faith, right? No. Yeah. Whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's not hope is in the English sense of, I wonder if it'll happen. This is faith, that God's glory is assured. Romans 8, 24. But these are all the same Greek word. Not only that, we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, 
the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But, what that it, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? What hope are we talking about? The redemption of the bodies. Again, the resurrection. That you, what's that? In Romans chapter 8, verse 23 and 24. The key verse there is 24. And the hope, I'm sorry, I cut you off. That's okay. The word hope there is the same word. But again, it's not talking about a gee, I hope it might happen one day. But God has promised it. We've not yet received it. We through faith know it's coming. That's what that word means. And what was that word? Elpidi. Greek word 1680. Is that 1680? Is that used each time the translation is hope? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Each of these is the very same word. Yeah. One more, and then we'll quit. That Romans, that's Romans 15.4. I didn't mean quit for the night. Don't get too excited. <laughs> Romans 15.4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. But it's not the hope of Gee, I wonder if it might happen. It's the confidence. God has demonstrated through all the writings of the Old Testament that when he makes a promise, he keeps it. When God gives us an appointed time, he keeps it. According to Leviticus 23, Passover is at what time of the day? 3 p.m. On the 14th day of the first month. What time did Messiah die in the crucifixion? 3 p.m. On the 14th day of the first month. If God said it's going to happen. Does that mean we sit back and hope gee it might happen? No. We can have faithful confidence. That God will do what he said. Romans chapter 15 verse 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. He's coming to the end of the letter. He's never been to Rome. He does not know these people, but he knows their reputation. And he's confident that they have the same ability to encourage each other in the faith that he has just written to them. So he's writing to say, I'm not better than you are, but I know you know all these things. Waiting for the group to go, uh-huh, yeah. Mm. But it's a letter. What does that word admonish in verse 14? Able also to admonish one another. Correct. Means to warn to warn to keep each other on the track. yeah it means to help keep each other on the track to warn you that you're slipping you're going off the way you're going off the rails to help bring you back and if I'm going off the rails I want you to do the same thing right yeah. 
And trust me, I have people that do that sometimes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 14. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren. What's it mean to exhort? To encourage, right? Encourage him. Brethren, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. What's faint-hearted mean? Those that are afraid. Uphold the weak. That is, teach those that are weak in the faith the difference between the commandments of God and the commandments of men. Build up their confidence. Build up their faith. Be patient with all. Oh, that's a hard one. You know, Paul more than once says, put down the two before. You just got to reason with folk. What if they're unreasonable? When it comes to the point that they've made a final decision, Lord said, wipe the dust off your feet. Don't cast your pearls before swine. 2 Timothy 3. I hear the same lecture coming. 's standard do we use when we correct someone, when we admonish them, when we reprove them? Our own personal standard? Hey, you're not as good as me? No, that's not it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture or every scripture is theonuptos, is God-breathed. So the scriptures that the apostles are writing about are the words that came out of the mouth of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I don't want to shock you guys, but sometimes I don't always agree with the traditional church. Okay. You figured that out by now, didn't you? The traditional church looks at this verse and says, every book of the Bible that we call scripture, therefore, was inspired by God spoken out of his mouth. So every word in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, etc., was all dictated by the Lord. That's not what this verse says. Every time you see in the Old Testament scriptures, the word of the Lord came to me saying, that's what Paul is describing as scripture. The words that came out of the lips of God. Now, when Messiah speaks in the New Testament, that's scripture that's breathed out of the mouth of God. But not every word written by the apostles was breathed by the word of God. How do you know? Because sometimes Paul says, I'm just speaking as a man, meaning this didn't come from God. I'm just talking to you. You're absolutely right. All right, back to if we have time. We don't. I'm out of time. I can now 
guess that we're not going to finish Romans 10. So we will pick up next week, Lord willing, in Romans chapter 15, verse 15.